You are listening to the Staffing Tech Podcast Series. In this series, staffing executives offer valuable insights for leaders across the industry to learn from. The ultimate goal of the podcast is to elevate the discussion of staffing technology, provide actionable insights to decision makers, help listeners learn from the experience, successes, and sometimes failures of leaders who have innovated and are moving the space forward and enhance the future state of the staffing industry. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the podcast. In this episode of the Staffing Tech Talk podcast series, Jordan Block shares Staffing the Universe's unique and cautioned approach to technology investments. Jordan provides a broad overview of the company's tech stack and reveals what technologies have had the greatest impact on the business. The episode concludes with the importance of streamlining technology and how to measure return on investment of a company's technology investments. So now let's shift gears and let's actually, you know, dive into this topic of technology, which is kind of the driving force behind, you know, our organization and, and obviously the other premise of the podcast. So first and foremost, I think, you know, it's important to note some of the folks we've talked to have been at kinds of all different, you know, business sizes and different types of risk profiles from an investment and perspective. We've seen kind of the gamut. So some, you know, staffing companies are extremely aggressive in kind of their approach to technology, investing in lots of tools, being willing to try pilots, being willing to kind of, you know, spend money here and there, possibly fail, iterate and try again. And then on the other end of the spectrum, a not insubstantial chunk of the industry, extremely conservative in their, their investment approach. And, you know, we've seen a lot of companies, not just small companies too, medium and some larger size companies, which are essentially running their business on, you know, just email and, and, and spreadsheets. So inside of that spectrum, Jordan, you guys are obviously a family-run business. You're owners of the business. And so the, the money that you're spending on, you know, whatever technology investments that you're making is obviously coming from your own pockets, essentially. And so, you know, what is your approach to technology investments? That's a great question. I think you summarized the concerns really well. From our perspective, we are very technologically forward-thinking as an organization, but we're really strategic in the investments that we make. So we'll always be looking at solutions. We always are validating and vetting and going through pilots with different industry partners. We do rely on the industry a lot. Firms like yours and ASA, SIA, other groups to really promote those, those best in industry vendors. But before we move forward, you know, we really make sure there's a business need because a lot of these solutions are expensive. And our credo is, you know, technology is wonderful, but implement technology doesn't really have much purpose. So we have a formal methodology and framework that we walk through with every single purchase decision for technology. And we really make sure it makes sense. We, we put it through the paces. We make sure it's going to add value, creative value to our stakeholders, whether that be our end employees, our clients, our internal teams. And we make sure it's, it's really firing on the cylinders that we need it to, as opposed to just implementing technology to say, you know, we have an AI solution or an ML solution, machine learning, or you know, there, there's no real reason for that. So our approach, like I said, is really focused on thinking next generation, what's going to be in the next couple of years, where are we going to be, but making those decisions today that are really strategic and, and not stressing the budget too much. If you could, without, you know, without giving the, the, maybe the special sauce away, could you walk through what that framework, what that decision framework kind of looks like? Might be helpful for organizations that are, you know, basically going through the same thing you guys are. Absolutely. So whenever we look at new technology, it's really driven from the user level. We always look at what our actual employees internal are doing on a database daily basis and where their areas of concern are. So the first thing we look, we do a needs assessment and we see if we can accomplish 
or find a solution with some technology that we already have. Maybe there's, you know, that user just doesn't know about it and we're able to leverage some other technology that we already have and find the solution that way. If we don't, we go through a gap analysis and see where the pain points are. And after we do that gap analysis, either we'll go to market or we'll talk with some of our industry peers. You know, we're friends with a lot of different owners of staffing companies and owners outside of the staffing industry, but see if they've come up with innovative solutions. So we'll go through that, I guess, that sale process of seeing what would fit the bill. And then there's a real big testing. You know, we'll do a lot. We're big on pilot programs and testing out solutions and making sure that it actually adds value and not just adds another tick in some big process flow just to say that we have a tech solution to do it. So I think on a high level, that's really it. We have a whole framework around change management that's equally as critical. So, you know, really making sure you implement something properly. But it's important to us that we're, we're looking at technology for the real intended purpose of it, not just the shiny ball that's being thrown across the room that we want to chase after. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. Actually, a couple of things. First off, just talking about, you know, using tech that you might already have internally. One of the, you know, silver linings of the, the pandemic is it what we saw is that it opened, you know, a whole bunch of executives' eyes to all this functionality that they already had but never knew they had and, you know, suddenly started leveraging. And so, you know, that was pretty interesting to see. I don't know if you have this experience, but a lot of owners probably do where, you know, recruiters see something or, you know, they get an email or they get a demo and they get really excited about it and they they say, oh, this is like the, the greatest thing we've ever seen. And then, you know, that probably happens on a daily or weekly basis. And so managing almost recruiters' expectations about what's possible and what's not possible. Have you guys run into that at all? Absolutely. So it's funny you mentioned that. We, uh, we, we do like a walk in or day in the life of, and we try and pick different team members and see what they're doing on a day basis and where their challenges are and their struggles and, and, and see what their process looks like. A lot of times we'll hear, hey, we need a solution to do X, Y, Z. And we'll look at it and we'll understand and we'll see what where their pain point is. And we'll say, hey, did you know, like in our applicant tracking system, we use JobDiva. You know, in Diva, you could just click one, two, and it solves the problem for you. You don't, you don't need to be maintaining this list outside of the system and doing all these workflows around. So I think it's a matter of training, a matter of just understanding the systems you already have in place sometimes that really can help leverage solutions as opposed to you know, I, it's so funny because recruiters or anyone for that matter of fact, they're, they're going to take the path of least resistance. So I think as owners and executives, it's incumbent upon us to make sure that the systems we put in place and the processes we put in place make sense. Yeah. So I think that all really flows together using what you have, making sure employees are trained properly on it and the protocols and processes make sense. Yeah. And some of that probably boils down also to, to making sure you got recruiter buy-in when you're actually you know, possibly buying one of these systems or implementing it, right? Absolutely. That's so critical. Yeah. And so, you know, it's kind of an extension of that. So if you're willing to, if you could share what your actual, you know, tech stack is, that would be great. But really, I'm curious in having gone through this process, it sounds like a number of times, you know, looking at different tools, implementing different things and piloting different tools, you know, what areas have had, have actually, you know, had the biggest impact on your business? You know, there's specific technologies that have moved the needle, you know, more than others, or there's some technologies maybe that were underwhelming. Our tech stack, it is something that's proprietary. So not going to dive too deep into it, but we do have, I would say, over 75 various technologies that tie into our technology stack in different capacities. And, and we really break it down into different areas. 
know, whether that's on the engagement side, whether it's sourcing, whether it's onboarding, credentialing, screening, and then onto the payroll, financial side, employee portals, things like that. So it's broken into different buckets. We have various tech that meets the needs of internal stakeholders. And when we looked, you know, over time, our tech stack just kept growing and growing and growing. And just like any good MSP would do or a managed service provider on a client, you know, where we, we went through a rationalization process and we said, do we really need this technology? Does this make sense? Are, you know, why are we paying for this kind of solution? We had a lot of redundancy in our technology stack. And we ended up consolidating, removing, and streamlining a lot of processes when we took the time to really look under the covers and see what was going on. And it could be as simple as, you know, do you have multiple vendors with copy machines all the way to AI sorting strategies with the most innovative SaaS platforms, right? And, and everything in between. Sometimes everyone gets caught up in, in the fancy stuff, but when you really boil down to it, offices operate on a lot of technology. And if we can streamline any of it, you know, it's, it's a win-win for the business. Got it. That's fascinating. You mentioned that we've, uh, you know, obviously observed even in in systems that do slightly different things, there's still typically kind of quite a lot of functional overlap. And so you might have bought maybe two systems to do these two different things, but there's, you know, 70 or 80 percent kind of functional overlap in what they do. And so I like that idea of uh, vendor rationalization. Yeah, then you do a risk reward analysis and see if it really makes sense to keep that extra solution or system in place, not just from the monetary perspective, but there is cost of maintenance. There's cost to train new employees on those systems. You know, single sign-on integration. There's a lot of things that come on with having superfluous technology just to have it. Yeah. In terms of the ones, I mean, I guess just to, just to come out and ask it. So when you rationalize, you had to get rid of some vendors. Was it more just that you kept kind of the categories all the same and you, know, you just streamlined the number of vendors you had? Or were there areas where you're just like, we thought this was going to work and it didn't? Or vice versa, where, you know, this thing is like really moving the needle for our business. Yeah, I think from our perspective, the categories remained pretty much the same. A new category that came up about two, three years ago was really in the automation space, robotic process automation, RPA. That was something of a new area as we just streamlined the business. But outside of that, the categories remained pretty constant. And it's just a matter of what partners are there, who, you know, we look for more in partners than just the solution or platform they offer. I want to make sure that they're adding thought leadership. Just like my clients expect me to deliver more than just a contract worker, they want me to provide insight and information and knowledge and and know-how about industry trends and hot topics. So I expect the same for my partners to deliver that kind of messaging to me. If we're engaging them and keeping them as a partner, it really is a two-way street. I want them to help us and, and help us build and grow the business. And we'll do the same for them at, in return. So it's really a partnership uh, from that perspective. Got it. And then how do you actually, particularly when you're doing a pilot, you know, there seems to be an area where we've seen potentially good partnerships go astray. How do you actually kind of measure return on investment? Is, are you typically trying to do that in hard dollars or are you trying to factor in for you know, soft costs and things like that? Does it vary by what you're kind of evaluating? Yeah, I think it definitely varies by the solution that you're looking at. From our perspective, we do, we like models. We, we try and build out a model for whatever we're analyzing and making sure if we can benchmark ourselves against it. So after one month, did we achieve X 
in return? Did we, you know, connect with X amount more candidates? Did we screen or get X amount more hires? So we try to put some metrics in or SLAs in place, service level agreements. And if we hold our partners accountable to help us, you know, move that needle or fine tune the solution to make sure that we're getting the most out of our investment. So I think that benchmarking, making sure you have milestones set, and then holding everyone accountable is, is critical in that entire process. Got it. You essentially come up with a metric. You have a thesis for you know, what some particular vendor, how they're going to move the needle against some certain metric. And then you estimate basically what you'd expect the impact to be given, you know, probably how much you're paying for it. And then you can measure whether that's, that's actually happening or not and recalibrate. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny because a lot of times we'll ask the vendors to pitch back to us what metrics do you think right. you can capture the best in your system? Let them be the subject matter expert for us. And they'll propose back an ROI study, return on investment, and they'll say in the most optimistic terms that they can save us $10 million a year, some, some crazy number. And then it's always a cat and mouse game of us you know, putting in more realistic expectations and, and what we can see. And we try and hold ourselves accountable to those. Got it. Thank you for listening to the second episode of Staffing Tech Talk. Stay tuned for the next episode, the technology roadmap for companies that wish to scale.